The thoughtful Benjamin Franklin was a fan of public schools, libraries, and mail delivery, all fruit-bearing pieces of a community of people eager to share and dissect ideas. Franklin is thought to have said, an investment in education returns the best interest. Indeed. With the Kansas Reflector today are Leah Flighter and Scott Rothschild with the Kansas Association of School Boards to dive into issues likely to be on the agenda during the 2023 legislative session that gets underway in mid-January. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Tim. Thanks. Leah, let's start with you. You work in the advocacy role at KASB. Can you start by just outlining what the association is and who it represents? Sure, Tim. We represent the 286 school boards across the state of Kansas. So each of those boards, except for one, has seven members. So um, we represent actually the largest group of elected officials in the state of Kansas, all 286 school districts. We also uh, represent interlocals and co-ops, as well as some community colleges. But our primary focus is K-12 education. So out of curiosity, what's the mm-hmm. one that doesn't have seven members? Uh, Fort Leavenworth, because uh, that board is appointed by the commanding general, hmm. and it's only got three members, I believe. That's an on-base school? Yeah. Okay. Scott, uh, what's your role with the association? Well, I'm the communications editor. Uh, I'm a uh, reformed uh, journalist. And, That's right. I uh, came up through the Lawrence Journal world uh, for a number of years. Uh, basically, I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of editing. I do some advocacy. I'm kind of a utility infielder at uh, KASB. And so on the KSB website, you will, you'll, you'll sit there during the legislative session and write about education issues. I'm on, yeah, I'm on social media a lot. Uh, for uh, an old guy like me, it's kind of weird, but uh, I enjoy uh, tweeting out uh, developments uh, during the legislative session. So, yes, please follow me. Yeah, okay. The legislature, based on the August primary and the November general election, will be a bit more conservative, I think. The House and Senate remains in control of Republicans who have a two-thirds majority capable of party-line veto overrides of Democratic Governor Laura Kelly. And judging by her first term, she isn't afraid to use the veto. I think the legislature overrode her perhaps about half the time, something like that. So to both of you, what do you make of the governor-legislature dynamic in terms of education policy going into next year? Well, I think it's obviously going to be challenging, as it was last year. I I do think, though, given the fact that the voters seem to be comfortable with a kind of a divided government, Republican legislature, Democratic governor, it makes me uh, wonder if there might be some opportunities for the Democrats to pull some Republicans over into some votes that might be um, favorable for public education. Yeah, Scott, do you think that it's a hint that to the legislature that people like centrist government? Well, I think I, I think without a doubt people would like a more centrist government. Whether we're going to get that or not is another uh, question. I mean, uh, once you get under the dome, uh, and I think you've probably observed Kansas politics longer than I have, but, you know, we've kind of evolved into a very—there uh, used to be sort of three different kinds of factions in the legislature, but we've evolved into really two. And so I think it's going to be— uh, uh, interesting to see how much uh, Republican legislative leadership whips its members and whether Democrats can pull, like Leah said, whether they can pull some Republicans over uh, in, in the event that uh, the governor vetoes some bills. Certainly the loss by a Republican gubernatorial nominee, Derek Schmidt, must temper the legisl- legislature's wish list going into this. 
You know, one would think so, but I'm not. I'm not actually sure about that. We're hearing that there's going to be uh, that they're going to come out of the gate swinging. Hmm. That there's going to be you know vouchers. There's going to be all kinds of stuff. Okay. So, I, in some ways, I think they're doubling down. But you know, that's that's based somewhat on rumor and conjecture. So it'll mm-hmm. be very interesting, January. Yeah. Well, we sure. need more uh, fodder for our news story <laughs> in the 2022 session. And certainly in its aftermath, there's been controversy about Kansas's challenges with fully funding its share of special education mm-hmm. programs, K-12 schools. The state treasury holds a couple billion dollars in surplus. So four. You, four? Yeah. Four billion. So you would think there wouldn't be a problem dealing with the underfunding of special education. Uh, Leah, you want to take a crack at sure. talking about some of the chess pieces here? Sure. Really, what are we talking about and what kind of money sure. might resolve this? Well, special education hasn't been funded to the state statute since 2011. The, the legislature enacted a law in, I think it was 2005, that said we're going to reimburse school districts for 92% of the costs that they incur above what they get from just the general base state aid and then federal reimbursement for special education. Special education is a federal mandate but then it's also passed down to the states. So the agreement was the uh, the state government will pay for 92% of what the the extra costs of educating a child with disabilities or in Kansas gifted children also qualify as special education. That's not the case in every state. So the districts would kick in 8%, the state would kick in 92% of the costs above the general education dollars and the little bit of special education funding that we get from the federal government. So that was the plan. What are we really at? We're at about, oh, somewhere in the 70s percentile, 70% funding statewide. Some some districts, you know, are only getting 54%. Scott, are there any ramifications for ignoring a state law? I guess if you're the legislative branch, you can get away with it? Well, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, uh, Leah mentioned that we're down in the 70s as far as the percentage of uh, additional costs. And what that figures out to be is about one hundred and sixty million dollars. We have uh, uh, something uh, in the neighborhood of four billion dollar surplus when you consider our ending balances plus our rainy day Mm -hmm. fund. So one hundred and sixty million dollars is in the four percent range of that surplus. Uh, it would seem like that would be a no-brainer to, yeah. to fund that. Uh, as far as consequences for not funding it, I mean, we haven't seen any yet, but I think there are political consequences. I think you want to – I don't understand why this wouldn't be a nonpartisan or bipartisan issue to fund uh, special education to the amount that you have promised to fund it. Mm-hmm. Well, the options are to do what the law says – you could rewrite the law mm-hmm. or, I guess, continue to ignore it. I think I think you've summed up what the yeah. session is going to be about. It's going to be about attempts to re- rewrite the law to say, uh, here, here's a $10 bill. It's really $20 it's really bills. 20. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and there's going to be uh, maybe an attempt to uh, 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 rewrite it in a way that uh, we count other weightings that that are provided in the school finance law. We count those within special education. So there's going to be a lot of, to me, yeah, I mean, to me, it's you fund it to, to the amount you said. 
Yeah, I just almost gonged you there because you use the word weightings, which mm-hmm. uh, is part of the very, very complex school finance formula <laughs> that nobody understands, not even legislators, uh, some of them. And so uh, just be aware of that. I'm going to gong you next time. If, mm-hmm. if you want to take that out of the broadcast, that would be fine. Yeah, that's all right. Okay. So uh, so let's, let's think for a second. Do we really think the legislature is going to stiff these particularly vulnerable children in schools. Do we really think that could happen? That that seems to be the plan. Um, and I think the thing that has us doubly concerned is that if the legislature doesn't fund SPED, doesn't fund special ed, mm-hmm. then school districts have to pull that money out of their general fund because special ed services are mandated. So if we don't provide those services, parents can sue. So maybe so, that's the argument. The uh, school districts are flush with cash. Right, they got the money. Right. Let's quit playing games. That's right. And you just fund it yourself and it's taken care of. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's, uh, like Leah said, these special education services are mandated by law, and Kansas does a good job of providing those special we ed do. services, and we are, we are proud and, and wanting to do that. But what, what the legislature is doing by not fully funding it is taking the money out of general ed. The local districts have to make that money up. All this money you hear that we're getting under Gannon is being eaten up by that di- by that diversion of funds. Yeah. So that's why it needs to be. Gannon is the latest incarnation of the school finance litigation. And, and that points to another issue in the 2023 session, and it's whether the legislature will comply with an inflation adjustment in terms of state funding of public mm-hmm. education that was cooked into the previous settlement of that Gannon case. Right. Uh, you know, with inflation unexpectedly high, do you think lawmakers will balk at this? Because that inflation factor is really going to kick well, up the cost? I think they're going to balk, and, and you're already hearing that. But I think it's um, what's important for people to remember is that inflationary adjustment is the average of the previous three school years' inflation. Mm, okay. So if it's 8% now, but it was 3% last year and 2% the year before that, you have the average of the, those three years. So it mm-hmm. smooths that out. Yeah. So It'll that's one thing to remember. It, it moderates it. Mm-hmm. And also to remember, we're not going to have these high inflation rates forever. So, so, you know, to say, oh, you know, oh, my gosh, inflation is so high or, oh, my gosh, we might have a recession. And so we can't fund schools. Well, you know, recession is temporary. The impact on kids' education is permanent. And so mm-hmm. when you've got $4 billion in the bank, $155 million, $160 doesn't per seem year, like too, per, per year. year. Yeah, mm-hmm. doesn't seem like too much. I asked that question in the context of the, the fact that Kansas Supreme Court retained jurisdiction mm-hmm. over that Gannon lawsuit, which means uh, I think they could just uh, convene a meeting and fast track any kind of court rebuttal to a law passed by the legislature modifying essentially Gannon. I mean, you, you're not going to have to go through years of litigation to get it back to the Supreme Court. Well, like you say, it's un, it's still under the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court, so I think you're right. I don't think it would take years and, well, decades, really, uh, that it took, like, under Montoy, the previous uh, school And I think the Supremes law. hung on to it because they were tired of resolving previous lawsuits, only had the legislature properly fund according to the agreements <clears throat> uh, for a couple of years and then punting. And so they got sick of that, and so they just kept the case. Well, I think that was their experience in Montoy. They, they yeah. released jurisdiction, and what, a year or two later, we went into a recession, and the school funding increases stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have a new attorney general, Chris Kobach, 
uh, he'll be replacing Derek Schmidt. So do we think there'll be a different attitude about litigation and public ed? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know. Maybe he'll be too busy suing President Joe Biden as one of his campaign pledges to be a thorn in That's the a side lot on of your dance president of the United States. Well, what did he say? He said he was going to sue. He was going to sit down at breakfast every morning and try to think of how, how to sue Joe Biden. <laughs> so maybe he could sit down at lunch and decide, you know, how to uh, address school. His breakfasts must be a lot more thought provoking than mine are. Uh, during the tw- I have to wonder, Tim, Go though, ahead, I mean, um, I've heard some some legislators and some former legislators saying, you know, there might be a lot of churn and, and drama and anger expressed about the inflationary adjustment. But. To really open that back up and and to poke the court like that, you know, I mean, again, this is an agreement. That. This is an agreement we made, and, yeah. and you know, I don't think you should be able to renege from those agreements. That would be calling the Supreme Court's bluff, as yeah. in they won't take over the schools or they won't close the schools to stand up for this settlement. You know. Uh, also, during the twenty twenty two elections, Republican uh, governor for, candidate for governor Derek Schmidt. Um, he was critical of the governor for the exit of teachers from the profession, if I remember correctly. Was that on the mark, unjustified? What do we, what do we have going on here with the teaching profession in Kansas? Well, you know, it's a profession that it's, it's, it's really whipsawed in the past couple of years. Remember when schools first shut down in March of 2020 and everybody was like, oh, my gosh, it's true. We don't pay teachers enough. Let me buy you a case of wine, teacher, if you will come back to school. We love you, you know. And, people and, are buying booze? Well, they were, they were, I was seeing people in Target going, this is for the, this is for the teacher. Um, but now, you know, they're, they're accused of being groomers. They're accused of indoctrinating kids. So, you know, the teachers I know are exhausted. You know, parents are in their face, literally and figuratively, over, over any number of, of real or imagined issues. And so, um, you know, I don't... Um, I would, I'd say, I, from what I know from the teachers that I talk to, it seems to be more about just the general churn in society and, the, and really the disrespect for the profession. Yeah, there's been a very longstanding uh, approach by conservatives to public education who want to tear it down so they can, I think, pump more money into private education. But uh, to deride the educators is one way to do that. Uh, and so, you know, ironically, I just think it's, they, they were pointing to frailties of public education at the same time they're trying to tear it down. Do you get that sense, Scott? Well, I, I think there is a kind of an assault on public education, and, and maybe there always has been. I don't know. But, but, you know, going back to an earlier thing you said about, you know, whether the legislature would call the Supreme Court's bluff over school funding, I think we've seen this in the past. I mean, the legislature tried to call the school, uh, the uh, Supreme Court's uh, bluff in Montoy. Schools won. Uh, they, uh, when we had the Brownback tax cuts, I think the reason those were reversed was because people saw that those were going to injure their public schools. And I think if this session proceeds in, into a standoff, uh, over uh, funding or, or, you know, things that uh, may may hurt teachers, I think legislators are going to find out Kansans like their public schools. Uh, you know, there's always sort of this anxiety or angst about the school system in general. But Kansas parents, 
the schools that their kids go to, they usually connect with those teachers, they connect with those schools, and Kansans believe their public schools are theirs. And so I think, I think the legislature, I mean, I'm not, you know, my advice is worth, you know, nothing, but uh, I don't think you mess with Kansas public schools. How significant is the teacher shortage? Oh, my gosh. Thousands of positions statewide. I mean, we went on a statewide tour that we usually do, and, yeah. and teacher retention and special ed were one and one A, you know, the top issues on, on education. State universities and others have mm-hmm. schools of ed. They do, They're and being the enrollment produced. is like, way down. Is it? Yeah. Um, because people just don't see it as the, maybe it was viewed as kind of a public service, and if I'm going to get bashed as a communist right, right. or uh, somebody who is just trying to gin up the race wars, uh, you know, I can go. I can go sell insurance instead, and not and not have to carry that home with me. And unfortunately, you see, you hear a lot of um, teachers who now have kids who are coming up in school, and they're telling their kids, "Don't become a teacher hmm. because it's not worth it." And, and it's not only teachers; it's it's the whole staffs within, like the paras and people like that. I mean, if if you can go work at uh, you know a, a McDonald's or Walmart and make twenty bucks an hour or something. Why would you be a para and, and hmm. you know? Yeah, those part-time paraprofessionals yeah. who are assisting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they would be like, you know, I guess you could call them teacher's aides, but, right. but whatever. Mm-hmm. They're in classrooms working with students, uh, you know, students with disabilities and things mm-hmm. like that. They're just being that extra adult and, and eyeballs in the room. And they serve a really important function, but sometimes they're pretty low paid, and and yeah. that's there I mean, are consequences we, of that. We heard a, a week or so ago. I think the Johnson County, uh, the mm-hmm. uh, Johnson County has uh, 450 openings for paraprofessionals. The, well, the school districts brutal. within Johnson County. What do you think are the consequences of that? What's going to happen? Well, you have teachers kids, will be on their own. Yeah, yeah. You have. Or in some cases, you might have a special education teacher, you know, who's certified, gone to school, licensed, but they're having to fill in for a paraprofessional. Mm. Like if there's a kid who requires a paraprofessional, an extra adult with them throughout the school day, sometimes that para, that special education teacher has to become the para because there's no para available. And so that then the kids aren't, you know, getting the full benefit of having a special education so teacher. So what are we going to do to recruit school? and retain good educators? Staff. Well, we have to we have to fund special education and we have to fund general education. So salaries is salaries. part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, are there other elements that would entice people to stay? I think the retirement benefits were considered pretty good. Uh, but maybe there's something there. What do you think? You know, I think I think there's things uh, just the whole I think we just have to lift teachers up. Uh, there's so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, negativity uh, brought by certain special interest groups against public schools, and I think uh, we we just need to turn down that, so, that kind of so noise. dial back the teacher bashing mm-hmm. because it has mm-hmm. it, it's hurting people. Right. Um, hmm. Okay. Another thing Derek Schmidt did in his campaign uh, for governor, unsuccessful campaign, is he criticized. Kelly for exodus of students from public schools and thousands during the height of COVID-19 were not enrolled. There were options, homeschooling, what have you. Uh, You know, some percentage has come back. So what's the extent of this shortage? I I think enrollment is still down from pre-pandemic levels, but where are we at and what kind of students are are coming in? Well, I think, uh, I think, I think we have approximately just shy of a half a million 
public school students. Uh, and then when the pandemic occurred, I think we lost 14 or 15,000. So since then, last year and this year, enrollment has gone back up by a few thousand. Mm -hmm. We are not to the pre-pandemic roles. Uh, this has happened in private schools, too. Hmm. So, uh, I, I mean, I know there was criticism during the campaign, but this is something that happened, I, I believe, in every state in the country because COVID. Uh, Where are these students? Did they move to Utah or <laughs> they are they being homeschooled? Some of them, I think, are being homeschooled. There are other students who have decided to take advantage of virtual schools, mm -hmm. which um, several several of our school districts have, because some kids and some families found that, that the virtual option really did work for them. I think hmm. most kids and most families would prefer to be in the classroom. But there are kids, especially if they have a particular talent or avocation, you know, if they're a very talented orchestral student and they participate in elite performances or I know there's one virtual school that has a ton of kids that do high school rodeo so they're rodeo rodeoing all week so they you know they're able to fit their classes in virtually in a virtual school and then also do their rodeo or their violin or whatever it is that they do and mm -hmm. so some kids have found that and and their families have found that that the virtual school option does work for them and so some of the districts have expanded their virtual school offerings. I always thought with our children that it was important for them to be in in a school environment because there's cultural issues, there's people different from you, there's people that talk with different languages, and you need to deal with adversity and, and real life, you know, as you grow up. So I just, I'm a little skeptical about this homeschooling alternative where everything's online, but you know, whatever well, and home, people's choices. Homeschooling is different from virtual schooling because the virtual schools have an actual accountability and, and they have a mm -hmm. curriculum mm -hmm. that they follow. Whereas a homeschool, you just have to register and set up Tim's homeschool and then there's really no oversight or accountability. Yeah, don't put me in charge. <laughs> Fear for the future if I have anything to do with the future of our, our youth. Uh, so, Leah, you, uh, could you kind of touch on I know there's a state law regarding open enrollment, and this is, allows students at their discretion to move school to school or district to district. Can you kind of explain sure. that? And maybe KSB has some ideas for maybe right. improving that? Well, actually, I think more than 80% of the school districts in Kansas already have some sort of process where they usually will accept out-of-district students. You know, if you've got a kid who, you know, really wants to take your coursework then and you've got room for them, then you let them in. Or, you know, they're, you live in District Y, but the parent teaches in District X, and so they just want mm. to bring the kid over mm -hmm. with them, and they can all be in school and working in the same district. Most, most districts have some sort of process where they will allow out-of-district kids in. Um, you do have a few districts that have decided, you know, we're a very, we're a quick, fast-growing district. Our population is exploding. These are usually in the more populized areas of the state. And our taxpayers have decided we don't want to let people in from outside because we're the ones who pay these high property taxes and for good schools. And, and we, want to, we want to keep that as our local choice. The... Um, the issue around this open enrollment law that was enacted last year, which really doesn't take full effect until the 24-25 school year, okay. is really about, um, 
I guess, okay, well, forcing schools, if they didn't have a policy on open enrollment, to enact one. And really what it was about was kind of, um, it's, it's another step in the whole so-called school choice um, program. So they couldn't, they really couldn't get a voucher bill through last year. And so, you know, it's okay, we'll, we'll do open enrollment this year, make, make districts come up with this, you know, complicated thing of, you know, you have to look at every classroom in every district, every classroom in every school in every district and calculate whether you're going to have capacity or not. And then set, you know, and then set your policy based on what you believe your capacity will be. So it's a lot of busy work and it's a lot of kind of anxiety. And um, that's, you know, that was, you know, one of the continuing salvos in the so-called school choice campaign. And then, you know, the next thing we'll see is uh, vouchers. Uh huh. So we'll get to vouchers in a second. But Scott, do you think what can be changed about this is the idea that school districts really should have more authority to say no? Yeah, I think I th I think that was the um, uh, the basis of our objection mm -hmm. to this law was not that open enrollment is bad. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, yeah, most a lot of our anyway. districts do that, but that you know. In a lot of these policy areas, the question becomes, who gets to make the decision? And we have locally elected school boards to do right. that, but we've also got elected legislators who like to parachute in and, right. and, and wave the magic wand. Right. Yeah, we got to get rid of those parachutes. Okay. Uh, no, but but I mean, and 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 as Leah explained the situation, I mean, there are situations where local districts, it would be to their detriment to have open enrollment because they're bursting at the seams. And so, uh, you know, we just felt like uh, th this is a provision that was, uh, uh, you know, another mandate from the legislature when really it should be up to the local um, school board listening to their local constituents and they should be the ones that make the decision. So, I mean, our, our policy is we, we would like to see that uh, provision repealed. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but, um, you know, we just feel like it's a local control issue. I could, um, well, I, I know school district administrators don't need another reason to do paperwork, but I'd be very interested in knowing uh, what's the demographic of the people making these transfers. So are they wealthy kids moving from one district to another? Uh, what's the minority headcount of people making this move? I think there's an issue with uh, the cost of transportation mm -hmm. to a district where you can't ride a bus. You're going to have to have private transportation to your new school. And so maybe that would be a limiting factor. I think it would. And I think the transportation is a perfect example. I mean, uh, I guess if the legislature wanted to, to, to equalize it or make it more equitable, they would have provided more transportation funding uh, to, to transport those students. But that mm -hmm. wasn't done. Yeah, there's other tentacles that we don't have time to get into, like, uh, you know, cherry picking athletes. But maybe there's rules against it. What about private school vouchering? Going to there be debated? Are rules, the cherry picking. Uh, Kasia rules about athletics. Yeah, participation. Do apply. So I just I just want to stick that yeah, in there, but right. yeah, we're running out of time. I understand. Yeah. So what about vouchering and and just explain really what that is, Leah? So a voucher is any kind of scheme where you take 
public tax dollars and you funnel them to private schools. And you can call them tuition tax credit programs. You can call them education service, education savings accounts. You can call them vouchers. They're all pretty much the same thing. It's taking money away from public schools and funneling them to private schools who don't have to serve all students. They don't have to accept all kids. And, uh, you know, it's basically hollowing out the public school systems so that eventually the only kids who are left in public school are the kids who, who do poorly, who, who have a lot of challenges at home, and meanwhile, the more fortunate kids are able to go to the land of milk and honey and uh, continue to excel. And uh, you know, the only thing that's left behind is the public school that becomes sort of you know, a catch-all for kids that no one else wants, and then we can just compare, you know, complain about public schools and how bad they are. And, yeah, and I always thought uh, this vouchering was about, you know, parents sending their kids to the local Catholic high school and being very frustrated that they don't have the government pay for that education, you know, just as in the manner that we do with our taxes on public schools. Well, and one of, I think one of the myths of about uh, uh, these vouchers or education savings accounts or whatever you want to call them is uh, they would they would forward the base state aid per pupil, which is, what, 4000 Something like that, some yeah. $4,500. Yeah. Well, if you look at what private school costs, that's nowhere near what private school costs in, in most instances. It'd be, so it would be subsidized. So, All right, we're going to have to skip along there. We're going to go to the lightning round. Uh, <laughs> Scott, uh, there's legislation about forbidding trans students from participating in ath- athletics in terms of uh, the, the legislative idea was that you could participate based on the gender at birth. Another bill this year? Yeah, there's going to be another bill, and KASB opposes this because we believe that Keisha, the Kansas State High School Activities Activity. Association, close enough, is uh, <laughs> is uh, are the experts in this field, and they they have the uh, the wherewithal to handle this situation. All right, Leah, how about mm-hmm. a parents' bill of rights? This has to do with. Uh, essentially right-wing ideas about uh, education to avoid topics of race, LGBTQ, book right. burning, book, that kind of thing. Book type of thing. Yeah, we expect that'll be uh, that'll come up again. Uh, there was a pretty prescriptive bill that did not make it last year, and so there was a uh, there was a more sort of, I guess you would say, aspirational bill that was uh, vetoed by the governor. That that bill said, oh, you know, parents have rights. So I think we're going to see another run at restricting things that are in libraries, you know, making teachers post what they're teaching. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll see that again. It's it's something that people seem to think is a good campaign issue. So. I just think the book burning thing is hilarious because if somebody, some book I labeled as obnoxious and not uh, suitable for the library, that would be the first book that I go check out. <laughs> uh, so, again, and to close out our lightning round, uh, Leah, do you want to point to something that uh, you you might think could come up during this legislative session that might be of interest to listeners? Yeah, um, given some of the tragic events of the summer, I think we'll most likely see some sort of bill about um, either requiring school districts to arm teachers and staff or, or letting them arm teachers and staff. There are a number of, of issues around that. That's, you know, that's something that some communities or teachers might feel very comfortable with. Others would not. Mm-hmm. So I think at the very least, you'll see a bill, you'll see some hearings, um, you'll see some activity around that. Scott? I think you may see some activity about expanding uh, exemptions from vaccinations yeah. uh, for kids going mm-hmm. to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Nothing like a vax uh, debate in the state house. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. I want to thank our guests today, Leah Flighter and Scott Rothschild, both of the Kansas Association of School Boards, for giving us a snapshot uh, perspective on what we can expect in the 2023 session. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.